Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. I invite you to take your Bible to Genesis 2, and the children can head downstairs. Thanks, Andy. For Sunday school, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 2. sort of uh, titled this series, When God Speaks. And you'll see as we make our way through the first 11 chapters of Genesis that the Lord will speak to direct his people. And the goal of the speaking of God is to capture the obedience of faith of his people that we would hear and heed the call of God upon our lives. So even as I read the scriptures to you this morning, I invite you to ask the Lord to take the word of God and give you ears to hear, to break it into the application that is needed in your heart, the encouragement and the strength and the hope and the help that the word of God gives to God's people as he draws us into his service this morning. And as we're reading the scriptures, I want to remind you that our brother Ron, who we prayed for uh, last week together, is now in the Middle East, and he had a little flight uh, landing difficulty. He's in a uh, secret Islamic country, and and uh, so he is now there and got some messages the middle of the night last night that they finally landed, and now they are they moved to the center of a major city in the Middle East, and so just be praying. So as we are here worshiping, he's over there seeking to be faithful with a group of others uh, to the Lord. So that's happening in this dynamic. It's a helpful illustration to have in our minds as the Lord is calling us out of our comfort zones, calling us out of our priorities, calling us out into his kingdom and into his mission. And I want you to hear and read the book of Genesis in light of that, that the book of Genesis is a launching pad for the whole of the Bible. Of course, written by Moses, it records for us the history of God's people being called by God to be his people, and of course in Genesis 12 and following, that they might be blessed, so they might be a blessing to the nations, and the trajectory of Genesis is quickly and rapidly to go out and be the people of God for the blessing of the nations. And of course, Moses' writings records the struggles and the battles, the betrayals, the sin and the idolatry that all of us face, that all of us are challenged by. And so as we enter into Genesis 1 and 2, we behold our God We look at what he is like, and then in light of who God is, that's what I want you to see, When in light of who God is, we hear the call of God to follow. We have the call of Abraham upon our lives, in a sense, in Jesus Christ, that we are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. So none of us here are without a holy calling. None of us here are outside of the ambition and the purpose and the mission of God in the world. Isn't that great? And isn't it overwhelming? 
is in it, do you not feel acutely the inadequacies, the excuses rise up to the surface, the self-condemnation that comes into our lives, the, the feelings of past failures and inadequacies? Doesn't that rise up? So when in the call of God to mission, those battles begin to happen in the heart, what you need to do is see the God who is at the heart of the mission. Got it? This is not about you. This is about your God. This is not about you manufacturing a mission. This is a God who's got his wheels up and he's in motion. He is moving. He will build his church, as he said in Christ, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth then then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life where did the breath come from where did the life come from remember that and the man became a living creature and the Lord God the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the eyes to the sight and good for food the tree of life was in the midst of the knowledge in the garden sorry and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And when he slept, he took, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What a great text of Scripture. We certainly cannot cover everything in this passage of Scripture, but let me remind you that in this passage of Scripture that the purpose of God is to set us on the trajectory of His mission. And so I, I'm going to put back up here um, the, the quote from uh, Christopher Wright that we had last week. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And I want you to start out with that truth in your mind to think about this. God is on a mission. And as God has got a purpose and a plan to glorify His name, He creates humanity. Humanity is not creating its own meaning. Humanity is not defining the parameters of our own existence. God is at work. God is at, at purpose to eventually bless all the nations through His people. And that's really helpful for us as we begin to think about the mission that God calls us to. Because where do we go wrong in the struggle with being obedient to the call of God to go and be witnesses to all peoples. Where do you struggle? We were praying together this morning in the prayer time over loved ones and friends and family members. Where do we struggle when you're trying to share Christ? Right, people close to you. And what, what do we struggle over? We struggle over our own inadequacies. We struggle with the fact that the people that do know us, if they know us long enough, will know the story about us. That the story of Israel is the story of Dibley, right? The story of the Bible, of the fallenness, of Peter the Apostle, cowardly Peter, denying Jesus Peter, is in the Bible because that's me. That's my struggle. And one of the dangers for us as we set out on mission is we begin to think in our minds, somehow this relies upon me. Folks, we're not the center. Folks, we're not the foundation. Folks, we're not the originator and the source and the strength of all of this. It begins with God. And the beginning of God sets the direction of our mission. And so one of the things we have to understand when we read Genesis is as we read Genesis 1 and as we read Genesis 2 and we see these glorious truths about God and who God is, is that this is written to us for the purpose of mission, to strengthen us in the mission of God. And so uh, I'll read you another quote from Christopher Wright where he says, there should be no theology that does not relate to the mission of the church. So the purpose of Genesis 2, although it's rich theologically and will help us describe what marriage is and and what, what stewardship of creation looks like and who we are and why we are and where we're going. While that's all true, you have not got a proper interpretation of Genesis 2 if you don't get to mission. That's the purpose of this book, that this purpose is to tell you something about who your God is so that you will rest and rejoice and rely on that God when you go into mission to get the focus off your navel and get your eyes on your king 
and to see who he is and what he is capable of doing. So this Wright says, there should be no theology that does not relate to the mission of the church, either by being generated out of the church's mission or by inspiring and shaping it. There should be no mission of the church carried out with deep theological roots in the soil of the Bible. No theology without mission impact, no mission without theological foundations. Both of those things are true. So you need this biblical theology in order for mission to be accurate. You do not need you to be the Savior of the world. You do not have to produce life. You cannot do it. The source and the power and the resources, the, the, the capacity and the wisdom, that's what we're going to see in Genesis 2, the wisdom belongs to God. So anybody got the memory verse for this week? Daniel 2, start me. Anybody? Oh, I hear action in row one, number 2. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot and have you stand up and say Daniel 2, 20 and 21. Do you mind? Okay, good. close isn't that great that last line he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who are understanding where does wisdom come from god how are you going to approach this you know one of the things we talked about is when you engage with people about your faith one of the things we struggle with is will i come up with the right answer will i handle this situation can i negotiate this here's the great news the lord is the source of wisdom And what you and I need to be reminded of in this passage of Scripture is that the struggle that we have in obeying the call is often we're looking at our own resources rather than relying on the resources of God. So Trevin Waxen, in an article, was asked the question, he responded to the question, why do you think people struggle with sharing their faith? Why do you think people struggle with evangelism? And he said this, In my experience, the problem isn't we've forgotten our responsibility to love our neighbor and share the gospel. The problem is, is that even when we know what our duty is, we still don't do it. Right? So my goal here isn't to pound on you and say you should be sharing your faith. You know that. Right? That's what he's saying. It's not me pounding on you a higher level of law and obligation so somehow you will move and do what you... I mean, maybe somebody came here this morning not knowing that your neighbor needs Jesus, your child needs Jesus, but not likely. He says the problem is deeper. It's a want-to problem, not an I-don't-know problem. Now the question is, how do you answer the want-to problem? And so he answers a little later, he says, so what do you do? He says it's pretty uh, simple, actually, exalt God. Magnify His holiness, praise His greatness, exult in His grace. Don't spend all your time thinking of creative ways to get across the command of evangelism and mission. He says, though there's time and place for such things. Instead, spend your time exalting the God of mission, trusting that awe-inspiring vision of His majesty will set your people's feet on the right course. So here's what you do. Get people seeing who God is. What God's capable of doing. And so in Genesis chapter 2, what do we have? 
We have a God who knows what he's doing and what his people need. A God who provides wisely for his people. So I want you to take your Bible. Just uh, I did this last week. I had you go in Genesis 1 and Psalm 19. I'm going to ask you to keep your finger here because we're going to come right back to Genesis 2. But go to Proverbs 3, which was read earlier in the service by the worship team. Go to Proverbs 3. Anybody know off by heart Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord. All your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will... That's a key passage to mission. That makes sense? Now, if you read through this word where the father speaks to the son and tells him about wisdom, he goes down and he says, you know what? Don't worry about the struggles of life. Don't worry about the challenges. Trust God. He knows what he's doing. So at the end of that passage, he says in verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I want to pause for a moment this morning and say this to you. If you are self-flagellating about your evangelism failures, stop and listen to the Lord. It'll be healing to your flesh. You're going to the wrong well. You're relying on the wrong strength. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves and is a father, the son in whom he delights. Isn't that great news? When you're going through hard times in the middle of it, realize God hasn't abandoned you. God's training you. He's making you wise. Blessed is the one who finds understanding, finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. Her is wisdom, right? And her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her hands. And in her left hands are riches and honor. Her ways are of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. What were we being taught there? What do you need? God's wisdom. I need God's vantage point on this. I need the Lord to give me wisdom. If the Lord gives me wisdom, I can live out my life. Now, where do I discover? Where do I see? How do I know the wisdom of God? There's several answers to that, but one of the answers is in the next verse. Verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded what? The earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom in your life. Let them be, they will be life for your soul, adornment for your neck. And he goes on. So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we come to the creation accounts. And what the, the writer of the Proverbs says, look at creation and the passage and the revelation of God in creation. If you think about creation, you'll learn about your God. And if you get it right and you understand what's being said there, it will transform you. It'll be life to your bones. It'll liberate you. So this is what we got to do. We got to go back and learn a few things in this passage of Scripture. Now here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. Let me restate why I'm saying it. You and I are called on mission. And you are not adequate for mission. 
You and I struggle with being able to be, how to be, who to be in all of these things. And here's the first thing we get from Genesis chapter 1. God knows what you need. You understand this? That's what Genesis 2, sorry, Genesis 2 says, God knows what you need. Why? He made you. And in Genesis 2, we have the placing of Adam and then eventually Eve in the, in the garden under the provision and the, and the direction of God. And so I, I put up here, God in His wisdom has provided everything we need in creation. Now that's, that's a fundamental reality. Everything you need in creation, God has provided for you. But that is also a fundamental truth of faith. Got it? Everything you need for life and godliness is found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. God has what you need. You don't have to come up with it. You don't have to manufacture it. So as you make your way through Genesis chapter 2, repeatedly we see that what we have has been given to us from God. So let, let me walk you through the text. What's one of the first things we get from the Lord? Life and breath. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I stopped and emphasized that. Verse 7. The Lord formed the, man of, uh, the formed the man of dust from the ground, and how did he live? He breathed into nostrils the breath of life. I'm going to stop there right now and say, can you extrapolate from that truth a spiritual reality? Jesus said, unless you are... Born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Where does life come from? God, who gave life, who supplies life. Do you supply your own life? I'll tell you that. You're like the grass of the field. You're here today and gone tomorrow. Aren't you remarkable? Those of you who have been here for a while, isn't it crazy how quickly summer goes? How fast the leaves fall? How it disappears? The Bible repeatedly says that we don't give our own lives. They got their life by the very life of God. Breathing into them. That's fundamental. That's fundamental to our own understanding. God gives us what we need. Secondly, God gives us pleasure and joy. Why am I the way I am? Look at verse 9. And out of the, the, the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is what? Pleasant to the sight. Do you not love creation, just the glory and the beauty and the splendor of God's handiwork? He could have done it all in black and white. He could have just given you gruel. Right? He could have said, I'm God, you're not, smarten up, fly right. Right? He could be that. But he's not the capricious God of Allah. He is the glorious God of joy who made things because he delights in them. And he made the heavens sing and be filled with the glory of God. And he made the birds land all around the farmhouse to distract Dibley while he's preparing sermons. And all the way from Waconia to Victoria. So I drive every day with my camera and my truck beside me. And everybody goes, how do you get pictures? It's because I don't ever leave my camera. Except for the other day, I pulled in the driveway Beautiful snow, two male pheasants standing right by the farmhouse. Blue, red. I pulled my camera out. I put it like this. I went to take the picture, and it went battery exhausted. 
And I said, pastor exhausted. <laughs> God doesn't get exhausted. He gives life. He gives life to those who do not have life. He gives pleasure. My dear friends, you were made for pleasure. To taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a, that's a difference between you and the duckies and the platypuses. Right? You see and savor the glory of God. You've been made for that. God made you for that in His wisdom. Verse 9, He also made it good for food. So God gave you... Did you... Did you do you really believe that because you worked 75 hours this week, you sustained your life? Do you know what worry does? Do you know what Jesus says to those of you who are working 80, 90 hours a week trying to hold it all together? Look at the birds of the air. Right? Do you hear that? doesn't mean work's wrong. We're actually going to see work's good. But he created what we need and supplies us what we need. Do you understand where I'm going with this? When he calls us in mission? What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing that God, give, God knows what you need. Why does he know what you need? He made you for it. He made you and supplies it for you. So there's health and food. There's purpose and work. So next one. The Vanna White of the PowerPoint back there is going to... Sorry, that's my wife in case you're visiting. Um, purpose and work. Look in verse 15. God took man out and put him in the garden. And God gave him the dignity and purpose. You are fundamentally not sitting there trying to twiddle your thumbs and play video games and hope that you don't get bored till the next one comes out. You've been made to reign and to rule over all creation, the glory and the expanse of creation. You've been made with purpose. Don't you long for a meaningful life? Isn't that the curse of the culture? Trying to create our own Instagram meanings? Trying to find and hold on to significance? Feeling that we're out of reach? Going into anxiety? Falling into depression? Because why? We know in our hearts we long for something more, but we can't make our own meaning. It was Viktor Frankl's discovery, you know, after coming out of the Nazi concentration camps, one of the main wrestling points that he had in his writing and his literature. He said, for too long we've been dreaming a dream from which we are now awaking, the dream that if we just improve the socionomical situation of people, everything will be okay. People will become happy. The truth is that as the struggle for survival has subsided, the question has emerged, survival for what? Yet ever more people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. Amen. You see, God's made you. The, the people you want to share Christ with have been made for glorious purpose. You've been made for glorious meaning and purpose. Isn't that great news in the wisdom of God? Now, all of this is not of you. You don't have to figure out your own meaning. You don't have to come up with rational reasons why not to shoot yourself in the head. When you finally catches up with you, when the fuel finally runs out, when you get tired and tired and tired, God made you for companionship and community, right? 
So there's Adam. Everything's been good up till he makes Adam, and then or he makes all creation. He brings all the animals to Adam, and Adam names all the animals. And then it was discovered the first time it was not good for Adam to be alone. He who had been made in the image of the triune God, who has been perpetually in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, overflowing with love, joy, purpose, for all eternity has made us in His image. My dear friends, you were not made to be alone. And some of you know the deep, dark shadows of aloneness. And so you and I need to hear that God God supplied this meaning, this wisdom, this definition to life. We're made for intimacy. Right? Is there, is there anything this morning in my preaching that you feel viscerally in this text? The loneliness, the meaninglessness, the longing the struggle, the tiredness. We feel it at our core. And just as you read Genesis 2 and you reflect under the power of the Holy Spirit, what should be happening in your life is you go, thank God that this is not just some psychological, chemical, genetic thing I'm going through. What's going on in me is I realize that God has made me for His glory. He knows what I need. He made me this way. And that's where the mission starts. Friends, He knows what you need because He made you for those things. Start there. Start there. Start there when you move out into mission. He knows what you need. Knows it. All those psychological battles that come in when you think somebody's going to find out that I'm super loser. I'm trying to tell them about Jesus, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to go and tell them you're some superhero. You go to tell them you got a God who knows what you need, even when you're still getting therapy because you can't figure it out. You do not have to fix yourself. God is the maker of all things, and it resounds with his power and purpose. You are not the Savior of the world, praise God. He knows what you need. Does that feel it? Sense the wisdom of God. Here's the other part of wisdom. God also knows what you do not need. Little passage in the middle of Genesis 2. Did it strike you? There's a couple of trees in the garden. There's the happy tree and the not-so-happy tree. There's the tree of what? Life. Do you like that tree? Yeah, you get to the book of Revelation, that tree of life will be there for the healing of the nations forever. Are you not looking? That is a glorious tree. Have you ever stopped and asked the question, why door number two? Why, 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 oh God, put that other tree there? Were you just kind of putting a trip rope out there? Were you setting them up for a fall? Is there some capricious, dark little spot in the twisted nature of God that he just wanted to see them fall? There are a lot of philosophical debates about this. Here's what I believe is being taught. 
in the planting of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not that God is somehow twisted. It's just God knows reality. And the reality is that there's another side to everything being good. If you reject what is good, there is evil. And that's why when you talk to people and they say, I'm so angry at the injustice of the world, how can there be a God? You stop and ask the question, why are you so angry if there's not a God? Right? What are you so ticked off of? We're a bunch of molecules and a bunch of cells, and it's the survival of the fittest. It was, it was one of the things that transformed Francis Collins. In his, if you ever have read anything about Francis Collins, he was the director of the Genome Project, was mapping out the DNA. And when, they, when he was interviewed about what was going on, he was down in, in, in North Carolina, or South Car- I think North Carolina, studying. He was in Chapel Hill, and as he was studying down there in the process, he was a medical doctor, and as he was making his way along in all of that, he began to wrestle with some questions, have some discussions. You know, he understood science. He saw the intricacies of that, but he realized that there was something more to it all. There were some questions. There were some things that were unresolved, some answers. And one of the things that he realized that was bigger than simply all the genetic studies was that there were implications and inclinations within his own heart that were greater than what is genetics, if you just believed in the survival of the fittest, would make sense out of He said, why, if I'm preserving my own genes and I'm standing on the edge of a river and someone is drowning, am I inclined to jump in and rescue them? Why would I be moved in such a way that is contradictory to the survival of the fittest? Those questions began to permeate. And what what we see in this text of Scripture is that, that there is such a thing as good and God has made it good, but you and I need to realize that when a good thing gets distorted, it becomes a deadly thing. This is what God knows. That a good thing that becomes a God thing becomes a very bad thing. Right? What he knows is if you have everything you want, you can say, I no longer need the giver of the gift. And that's what Romans 1 says. They gave up the creator and worshipped the created things. And that's, that's the sabotage there. God, he points out in this garden, he said, God put up a tree and said, the same tree that is lovely to the eyes and is, gives you the knowledge of good, that same tree... If you touch it, if you go near it, and you taste of it, will give you the opposite side to it. Because I've told you not to, and you have a decision. Do you want the created tree, or do you want the creator? And so you and I come into this text of Scripture and realize that not only does God know what we need, He knows what we do not need. You gotta, we have to stop. Because one of the things we struggle with in our mission is we think we need something we don't have. Or we think our circumstances, if only our children were more well-behaved, if only my marriage wasn't in the direction it was going, if only I had more money, I could do more good. Whoa! My dear friends, get your eyes off the things that God provides as He wills and get your eyes on the God who does as He pleases. Because He knows what you need. And so, 
since God, Tom Schreiner, Dr. Tom Schreiner, Dan studied under him, he was here and now he's in Louisville. Since God is our wise creator, he knows what's best for us. He knows what makes us tick. We give ourselves to him in faith and obedience. If we have a longing and ache in our heart that's not fulfilled, we trust him with it. We ask him for what we desire. We plead with him to give us what seems good and right to us. But if the answer is no, we bow before his wisdom. Some of the things you want to have in order to be happy and successful and you think you'd be a better influence, God knows that if you had it, it would kill you. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you what you ask for every time you ask for it? Now, why is this so important? Let's look at the... Oh, no, I'll just stop there for a second. Why is, this the, why is there a prerequisite for this? Because when God calls you on mission... He may ask you to give up all those good things in order to serve and glorify his cause in the world, right? Abraham, what should you do? Leave your family, your security, Ur of the Chaldees, and follow me to a place you know not where. And I will bless you and make you great. Leave it. Leave it. That's the call. Jesus says... A man who wants to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will find it. A prerequisite for mission is to believe that God will give you what you need and take what you do not need in order to accomplish his good purpose. You're not God. You're not wise. Ask God to do what you think you need him to do and then trust God to bestow as he will. Does God know what he's doing? Absolutely. So that's, sorry, sweetie, can you uh, track back one text there? I don't know. It was the one that we were at a few seconds ago that had the Jim Elliott quote. Can you see it there? There it is. The will of God is always a bigger thing than we bargain for. Got it? How many of you agree with that statement? When you jumped in with Jesus, did you know what you were jumping into? Did you understand what you were buying into? Do you understand what was going to go on? The challenges and the hardship? Elliot, you know what happened to Jim Elliot? Right, killed by the Ak Indians in, in Ecuador. Went in. But we must believe that whatever involves, it is good and acceptable and perfect. One of my favorite hymns, I actually posted it this morning for you Facebookers, is by uh, Lena Sandel. Berg, she's a Swedish hymn writer in 18, 1865. She wrote this song, Day by Day and With Each Passing Moment. You know the one? Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best, Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Isn't that a great line? Great hymn. You know when she wrote that? When she watched her father drown. She watched her father drown, and then she sang about her father in heaven. 
a hymn that when you know is rich with sorrow and agony and hope and faith. Why God? You ever ask why God? We ask the question, why God? But the answer is that God knows what you need and God knows what you do not need and thank God He doesn't give you what you want. Thank God that He gives you what you need and included in what you need are your troubles and your trials, friends. You need your brokenness. You need your struggle. You need your weakness to accomplish the kingdom of God because you're not the Savior. Hasn't it been true for many of us that the thing that's opened up the door for us to talk to other people has not been our superhero successes in the world, but rather the the very point at which we stand up and say, I have the world you know, in my hand. And then, like sand, it went. And it was in my loneliness and my brokenness, all those Genesis 2 things that God provided that he took from me, that I found Jesus. That I found Jesus. You see, that's the wisdom of God. Isn't that the wisdom of God? God's not, God, God doesn't do things the way Dibley would do it, thank God. Because I've done many things the way I thought I should do it. That's why God gives us wives and children sometimes. Because they can just lift their eyebrows and look at you and go, are you going to do that again? Right? You ever felt that inside? What's the matter? Have you ever done the same stupid thing over and over again? Anybody had to learn a lesson twice? Anybody? I, I mean, am I the only one? Three times? I got what I got to do. I got to do the three. I got to vote. You know. Listen, Ox, I bet you I could go up pretty high. What about Peter? Why did this discussion take place between Peter and the disciples? How many times have we got to forgive my brother at the elders' meetings of the disciples? Right? How many times do I got to, and Jesus says, well, let's start with 70 times 7. Why does that conversation take place? Because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's the other part of all this that I want to see is this. The reason in the wisdom of God that God knows what you need and gives it and sometimes knows what you don't need when you think you need it and removes it is because all you really need is Jesus. And that's all the world needs. In the book of the New Testament, in the writings of Colossians and Ephesians and Corinthians, the argument of the New Testament is Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the one who makes sense out of my sorrows. Jesus is the one who pulls... Jesus in the coming to the cross and dying on the cross reveals to me that my God knows what I need better than I need it and He is not willing to distance Himself. He is not willing that I would perish but He enters into the darkest moment of my pain. Do you understand? Jesus gets it. And when you start to read the New Testament, especially the Gospel of John, you realize that everything in Genesis 2 is found in Jesus. So let's walk through it a bit. Where's your life? Where's your breath come from? 
Well, in the Gospel of John, it says this. John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What kind of life do you want? Do you want the life the world gives you? Do you want the death the world gives you? Do you want the life of God? Jesus is the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is our pleasure and joy, right? Christ is our joy. John 15, 13, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I'm sorry, your bank account can't give you what Jesus will give you. It'll make you joyless, momentary, fleeting. I'm sorry, your sexual flaunting and promiscuity and... And, and, and your determination to be free of all of the parameters of life. My dear friends, that won't give you life. And that won't give you joy. You'll fall into the pit of empty promises. Worshiping the created things instead of the creator. Jesus is the bread. John six thirty five. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is my bread. Jesus is my purpose and work. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I don't know which to choose, he says. It'd be better to go to glory and be done with the curse and the struggle and the weakness and the brokenness of this life. I want to move on to the next level. This, anybody get weary of this life? Anybody get discouraged of this life? God, take me now. You feel the ache. You feel the groan. You feel the, the curse that's upon the world, and you long for that. And then you stop and realize The only reason I haven't graduated into glory is because I got work to do here for Jesus. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Jesus is our companionship, and his bride is our community. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you what? Friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known. That's the beauty. There are some sweet things about Jesus you will not know until you go through that valley of the shadow of death and know the Lord is your shepherd. He will not leave you. Right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of the sweetest things about Jesus you will not know until God removes the things we think are so essential to life. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's something that you just think, how can I serve God in this brokenness, in this mess? Has God been doing that in your life? Has he been pulling out the false pillars of idolatry and security by which you have had your momentary peace? And is he putting in a deep intimacy of a Savior who has entered your pain, shared your sorrows, bore your sin, 
loved you like you have never known. You see, in the Bible, this is not just companionship. He is the bridegroom, and we are his bride. There is no intimacy at the human level that can ever be had like the intimacy that can be had with Christ when we surrender to him and say, you are my wisdom. So what do you do when you're looking at the mission of life and you're feeling inadequate and you're feeling like it's a struggle and you don't have the answers? (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's what you do. Come to him. What do I need? Give it to me. What don't I need? Don't give it to me. Paul said, take away the thorn in my flesh. God said, eh. No, sorry. My power is perfected in weakness. And Paul says, and let's boast about weakness. Let me tell you how I've struggled. Let me tell you about my depression. Let me pull up a chair and tell you that when I couldn't fix it, Jesus never left me. That he showed me he was my life, my hope, my joy. Let's go to the last slide here. Here's a little prayer from Louis Giglio, any of you who know Louis. Uh, He does this conference. College students, if you want to go to a good conference, they just had it. They have a a conference every January, the first week of January. There's about, I think, 60 or 70,000 Christians worshiping in Atlanta college students every year. So Louis has this prayer, and I'm going to ask you if you want to think about praying this prayer today. Father, I'm here waiting for you. My heart and hands are open to your purposes and plans for my life. See that? Stop. Whose plan? Give me the patience I so desperately need and lead me in my waiting Though my feelings may not be there just yet, I believe you are moving on my behalf right this minute. Protecting, defending, preparing, providing. Give me grace to keep trusting in you in the face of the gale force winds of doubt. Isn't that a good prayer? You bring up the cross and see Jesus there. Jesus is the anchor. Anchor my heart in you. Amen. So Waterbrook, um, the mission of God does not need a bunch of successful superheroes. The mission of God needs people who do not trust in their own understanding, but in all things, in all ways, Acknowledge him. You see, blessed be our God, right? Who, to whom, our verse says today, belongs wisdom and might. He causes, how's it go? He causes the seasons. That he changes the times and seasons. He gives knowledge no, he raises up kings and brings kings down. America, in, a, in an election year, stop worrying about it. 
God is on the throne. He gives knowledge. He gives wisdom to the wise and understanding to those who have knowledge. All I need to get through 2020 and be a witness for him is to trust him to be the wise God who provides everything I need. He will do it. He said it. He'll do it. He'll bring it to pass. That's what Genesis 2 teaches. God knows what you need, knows what you don't need, and gives you exactly according to his wisdom. So let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this chapter and we just see it rich with your wisdom and generosity, you know, dear God, our longing for joy and our longing for companionship. You know when we feel alone. You know, Heavenly Father, our struggle sometimes because school seems pointless, work seems futile. You know, Heavenly Father, sometimes when we're just worried about the next bill, the next mortgage payment, the next thing that has to go on the table, and we stop forgetting that you, you, O oh God, know what we need. Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. Your God knows what you need before you even ask. You know what we need, God. You made us. You're glorious in all that you made. And you, God, thank you that you know what I don't need. And sometimes what I want most, I need least. So Heavenly Father, forgive me when I've been looking for love in all the wrong places, when I've been looking for life in created things rather than the creator, when I've been looking in the mirror rather than looking to the master. Help me see Jesus on the cross, raised up, ruling over all things. My brother, who is my friend, who will never fail to love me. Help me see Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to come and take the offering. As the offering's being taken up, if you want to fill out a card and put it in, if you need any information, if you need prayer, do that. Um, just reflect on that. We'll just worship and sing in closing together. Thanks, Andy. worship be careful not to misunderstand that when I say all I have is Christ that's not minimizing it it's maximizing it I have Christ if I have Christ I have all isn't that great so it's in that knowledge it's in that worship I commend you to go out into the world and live for Christ so let me pray and ask for grace over you as you go father now as your people go out in Christ in the riches of Christ, in the power of Christ, in the authority of Christ, in the grace of Christ, in the power of the gospel and forgiven sins, I pray, dear God, make us mighty through our weakness. Make us faithful in our struggles. Make us hopeful in dark places and bring Jesus to the nations. We ask in his name, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great day today in the Lord.
Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.